Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. We are continuing with our series of the pastoral epistles and seeing as the Apostle Paul is writing personal epistles to two men, Titus and Timothy, both of them Paul's sons in the faith, and both of them acting in the office of a bishop, of a pastor, and that they are overseeing the work that God has placed them there. The apostle Paul in the office of a apostle and as their disciple or their teacher is giving them some instructions to help perfect them, to help encourage them how to be the pastors they ought to be and what they should be instructing to the other people. All of this is to help the church of God in each of those local areas to move forward for the case of Christ. And so if you don't mind, as we continue to go through our study, we find ourselves in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 3. The book of 1 Timothy chapter number 3, and notice with me in verse number 8. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 8, like what the Bible says in verse 8, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 3? 1 Timothy chapter number 3, notice the first phrase, likewise must the deacons. Likewise must the deacons. And with the Lord's help, we're going to hit this idea here of the qualifications of deacons. The qualifications of deacons. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we open up the Bible, I'm just asking that it's clear, that it's easily understood for the purpose that we can apply it, that we can understand what you intended it, what you desire, what you expect out of deacons, and out of every single one of us as we have a desire to move forward in your work, doing it your way. Again, I put aside all my motives, my ambitions, my goals, and I set them aside, and I reckon myself dead. And the best I know how, I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would do something great and wonderful as we move forward in this local church. 
And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the office of a deacon, in different churches and different places, there's a big miscommunication, a big misabuse, a big miscommunication about what deacons are, about what deacons are supposed to do. Well, the wonderful thing is that the Bible clearly lists what they're responsible for, what they're supposed to do, what their qualifications are. And in order to go ahead and get a good understanding, we have a principle in the Bible called the study of first things, the principle of first things. So whenever you go and find whenever that office, that word, that, that doctrine is first mentioned, you often find the key to unlocking the entire doctrine. So if you don't mind, Let's take a little pit stop, and we're going to hold our finger here in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, but I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter number 6. The book of Acts chapter number 6, and let's first of all start with the idea, the history of the deacon. The history of the deacon. We want to have an understanding, where did they come from? Why did this office develop? What was the purpose of it in the first place? And if we get a grasp of where it came from, why was it necessary? Why did this office pop up? Then we would understand more of the qualifications of a deacon as they were explained to an audience who would understand the history of it in the book of 1 Timothy. So turn with me, if you don't mind, the book of Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6, and let's go ahead and see and understand what's going on in the context. Notice with me in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here we see the incident that caused the calling of the deacons. <clears throat> what happened is that the church of Jerusalem, after Jesus Christ had died, was buried and rose again, <clears throat> that the church of Jerusalem began to expand. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were added to the local church of Jerusalem that day. That we could see as the Bible went on that people were added daily and that put a lot of work, even for 12 men that were trained by the apostle, by Jesus himself. We know that they had disciples in those days. People, so they had the apostles, but they had disciples, people who were taught, who were taught to follow after God, get in the habit of obedience to Jesus Christ. And there was a lot of things to be done. And what happened is that as people in the church begin to expand, some people said, hey, nobody's taking care of our widows. They're taking care of those widows, but they're not taking care of our widows. Hey, and they go up and say, preacher, how come this isn't being done? This needs to happen. How come it's not being done? Preacher, this needs to happen. How come it's not being done? Preacher, this needs to be done. Hey, preacher, this needs to be done. Preacher, this needs to be done. And you know what happens when preacher, this needs to be done? That list begins to grow quite long. And the 
the apostles found themselves where they were so busy doing things in the work of God, they were neglecting the true work of God. They got so busy in the ministry, they started to neglect the ministry they were supposed to do, which was reading the Bible and praying for themselves. You understand, how do you get a preacher to fall? You get him out of his Bible. You get him so he's not reading his Bible. You get it so he doesn't have time to pray. You get him so he's got this to do and this to do and this to do and this to do. And take, hey, don't forget this and this and this. And get him so busy doing things that he's failing to read his Bible as he ought. He's failing to spend time with God. He's failing to get that personal walk with God, which is necessary for the man of God to do. And they said, there's a problem here. And so they gathered the disciples. They didn't gather the mass. They didn't gather uh, just the fringe people or just people who showed up on Sundays. But they showed up the disciples, those that were discipled, those that were trained, those that had made a decision to follow the Lord. And they gathered them and said, listen, notice again in verse number two. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Meaning that, <laughs> that this is menial things. These are small things that can be taken care of by somebody else. Somebody else can easily take care of the widows. They don't necessarily need the pastor to go. Someone else could take that responsibility. Hey, you know what? The pastor doesn't necessarily need to go pick weeds. Someone else can manage that. That's not something you have to be prayed up to do. Someone could vacuum some carpets. It's not necessarily something that you have to really have spend three hours of study in order to do. I, you understand? All these little things add up. And what the apostles are saying is that anything that you guys can take that's more um, time that's freed up so we can do the thing that we're supposed to be doing and that's spending time with God. Praying, studying God's word so we can help you spiritually. That if you could take care of the material things, then we could take care of the spiritual things. That's just something that needs to be done. So we can't just blank it up and say, hey, all right, I'm trusting everyone to take care of this. Because if you trust everyone to take care of this, nobody will do it. So what they did is in verse number three. Wherefore, brethren... Look ye among yourselves. So don't outsource it. Don't advertise in the paper. Don't look among yourselves. Seven men of honest report. We're going to hit that word honest a little bit more in the qualifications. But this is what they were supposed to. Honest report. Someone you can trust. Someone that is faithful. Someone that's dependable. But notice this qualification. And you see the very first qualification of a deacon. Full of the Holy Ghost. That we may appoint to this wisdom. They said here. <laughs> we need someone that we can appoint over this matter. So we want you among yourselves. To look among yourselves. Find someone that is honest. And full of the Holy Ghost. Do you know that you can tell. If someone is full of the Holy Ghost or not. It is a definite experience. We've talked about it before. But may I summarize. That in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You first of all have to be emptied of yourself. 
That you have to be dead to yourself. Your desires, your ambitions, your goals, what you want. I don't want to pick up papers. Then you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't want to scrub a toilet. You're not filled with the Holy Ghost. If there's anything that you're not willing to do for the Lord, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with self. You see, it's an either or thing. You're either filled with yourself or you're filled with God. You can't be halfways. It's either the flesh is in charge or God is in charge. You can't have it both ways. And so we want you to look among yourselves and find seven men of honest report filled with the Holy Ghost. That means people who are in the habit of being dead to self. Habit of being filled with God. Habit of people who are saying, God, whatever you would tell me to do, I'll do it. I'm surrendered to you. Just tell me what to do. I'm not the preacher, but I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. He said, find me seven men like that. So that way they can take care of the ministration. They can serve tables. By the way, this is where we get our word deacon. The word deacon literally means servant. The word deacon means servant. And so you want to know in a vernacular term, that means common everyday terms. You want to know what a deacon is? A glorified grocery hauler. A glorified grocery hauler. Now, I'm not downgrading the office of a deacon. I'm giving understanding to it. There to be a servant. There to serve. And so a deacon who doesn't want to serve isn't a deacon. Make sense? Someone who's willing to pitch in to not just serve, but notice in here to be a leader in serving. To make sure the job is done. Why? Verse number four, but we, the preachers, the apostles, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You understand there's a lot to pray for. And the bigger a church is, that's more souls that a pastor is responsible for. That takes more time to preach, more time to pray, more time to study, more time to be in God's word, more time to be right with God. It, it takes that when you've got a bigger church. It's a more responsibility, more counseling. You know, not everyone could counsel. That's something a pastor could do. But someone could pick leaves. Someone could wash rocks. Back when I was an assistant to the pastor, my job was to rake rocks. That was, you know... Because we have desert landscaping out in Phoenix. It's better than watering and mowing. We just rake rocks and make sure that it's even on the hill. You know, be willing to be a servant. You know, the more things that people do that they can be done, that's more time for the preacher to spend time in his walk with God his praying, his studying. A preacher, and I talk to preachers all the time, who are so busy doing so many things, they can barely study their messages. And then that comes out from the pulpit. And it affects you. It affects the listeners. If the preacher hasn't been in the word. It affects you if the preacher hasn't been walking with God. It affects the whole church if the pastor no longer has a walk with God. It's leading it the wrong way. So it's basically, let me help you help me. If you could take care of some of these little things, that frees me up to spend time with God. So here we have 
the history of the deacon. Remember, we're going back to the first mention. Where are they first mentioned? Where they come from? And that unlocks the idea of why we have deacons. Deacons are not supposed to be reviewing the pastor's sermon to make sure it's all right. There are some churches, that's the deacon's job, is to make sure the pastor's doing everything right. He's not the overseer of the pastor. He's assisting the pastor. He's taking care of some things so the pastor is free. By the way, may I also pause here? My pastor used to have the monkey on the back theory. The monkey on the back theory is this. That the pastor gives this monkey to someone else to take care of. And what happens is the person doesn't take care of the monkey, so now the pastor gets the monkey back, but then he also has the monkey of dealing with the person who didn't take care of the monkey. Now he's got two monkeys. That's the principle of the monkey. This is why some pastors say, forget it, I'll just handle everything myself because I don't want to get more monkeys added to me. I can't find anyone that I could trust to take care of the monkey and make it their monkey because when they get bored or it's no longer fun, guess who gets the monkey back? That's part of the thing of the overseer, the bishop, is that he's got to make sure everything's done. And if nobody does it, well, then he's got to do it. So the deacons, the servants, are to try to take care of as many tasks as possible so that the pastor can have the walk with God to pray for him. Don't you want someone praying for you and getting a hold of God? Don't you, wouldn't you hate to say, for the pastor to say, you know what? I've been so busy this week, I couldn't pray for you. Wouldn't that be horrible? And if a lot of pastors would be honest, they'd have to say that. I didn't have time to pray for you because I was too busy taking care of this other stuff. You understand, this is why it takes, this is such an important idea here. By the way, now may I also put an asterisk? You don't have to be a deacon to serve. Everyone could do something and help out. But the deacons are to be placed in charge. They are the ones to take care of the little monkeys. So the pastor is free to spend time with the Lord. So with that in mind, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And let's see the qualifications of a deacon given inside of the word of God. So we know that the first qualification according to the book of Acts is that they're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. And because the people were familiar with that portion of the Bible, it didn't need to be repeated again because that was an understood principle. You know, if you ask somebody in the first century church, second century church, hey, do you have to be filled with the Spirit to be a deacon? They're like, duh. I mean, that's what the requirement was at the beginning. So the first requirement, and they probably didn't use the word duh, that's more of a modern term, but... They, that was an understood principle before you went to any of these qualifications. Now the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is further defining the office of a deacon so that way Timothy could raise up deacons to help him out and not hurt him. So let's go through the qualifications of a deacon as it's listed here. Notice the first qualification in verse number 8. Likewise, so in, uh, in alignment with what the pastor's qualifications are, likewise must the deacons be grave. So the first qualification of a deacon is to be grave. May I also say, so this word grave carries the idea to be serious, to be earnest, it's dealing with someone who's not a foolish person or someone who's not careless, but they're serious. They understand that this word carries the idea with their mindset. 
it carries the idea of someone that is honest. Remember, we talked about that in the book of Acts chapter 6, someone who is honest. This is what the word grave here, that this someone who is honest in his mindset, that he takes just as seriously the responsibilities of the church as he does his secular job. Meaning that if someone's working, no matter where it's at, that he does a good job at work, he should have that same mindset to do his best at church as well. Not just giving leftovers. Well, I, I don't have time to do this. I don't want to do this. And Well, do you do that at work? You go at work and say, you know, boss, I know that I'm hired to do this, but I don't feel like it today. I'm just going to sit here. No, this, this idea of grave here has the mindset that they're going to be as faithful in doing God's work. They're going to be just as serious, sober-minded. They have the mindset, I'm going to be put my best into the work of God, the things that need to be taken care of in God's house, as I would my job wherever I work. Does it make sense? That's a basic qualification. We could all agree with that. That, you know, it's not someone who says, well, you know, I'll give God my leftovers. No, you should give God your best, just like you would at work. So the first qualification is grave. The second one here in verse number eight, likewise must the deacons be grave, notice this, not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. This has the picture of talking out of both sides of your mouth. Saying one thing over here and then saying something else to a different crowd of people. That when I'm over with these people, I talk like this. When I'm over with these people, I talk like this. A deacon can't do that. They can't be a gossiper. The reason why is because a deacon is sometimes trusted with information that cannot be disseminated. Sometimes a pastor, in order to help guide or have the deacon pray or something, has to say, hey, you know what? This is some information I need you to pray for. But I don't want it spread all over the church. This is just something you need to help. They need to be trusted with information. Well, this is part of that double tongue. Can they be trusted with information? Or as soon as they leave out, they're going to go, can you believe what the pastor told me? Or, honey, 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 guess what the pastor told me today about so-and-so? Well, that's not going to help. They have to be trusted. They have to be with their tongues. <laughs> that they're not double speaking about the pastor to someone else. I can't believe the pastor will do that. You know, there's an idea of loyalty. I'll talk more about that in a second. Notice as it goes on with verse number eight. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double tongue, not given to much wine. Once again, we see this idea of not given to, <laughs> to much wine, not given to wine, how much alcohol and, and drunkenness can affect someone and affect a testimony. Notice in verse number eight again. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given much wine. Notice this, not greedy of filthy lucre. The reason why this is here, the filthy lucre again is a synonym for money, <laughs> that a deacon needs to be trusted with finances. May I give an example? One thing that I would like as we advance forward, we have a little bit more money, that if we have a true widow, and the Bible gives a definition of a widow, and a deacon goes by and happens to see, hey, look, she's got an electric bill here. Let me just take the electric bill and pay for it. He's going to be trusted with it finances and said, you know, I'm going to go take my electric bill and I'm going to, you understand, he's going to be uh, trusted and the, he doesn't necessarily have to run it through the pastor because the pastor trusts him to take care of it and not to 
unwisely use the money. That's an important thing. You know, uh, it's taking away a step instead of a uh, deacon saying, hey, I'm over at Aunt Susie's house over here and she's got an electric bill. Can I go ahead? You know, that it becomes a little bit awkward, especially the pastors take, no, you take care of it. But you understand, it's things like that that specifically the deacon's there to take care of. Can a deacon pay a bill? Yes. Is that one less thing that a pastor has to worry about? Yes. You know, it's those things there, but they have to be trusted. Someone's got to be, <laughs> be responsible for uh, for taking care of the daily administrations, you know, hey, can I go pick up cups? Yes. <laughs> you know, we don't have to have a thing. As long as it's within budget, let's take care of things. Notice as it goes on, he gives some more requirements. Notice with me in verse number nine, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The mystery of the faith carries the idea of the Bible and the responsibility of obeying God's word. So holding the mystery of the faith, what God has given to us in a pure conscience, may I sum that down? There are people who obey God's word specifically in soul winning. Remember, the Great Commission is the main thing that God has given us to do. And that they are the ones that are trusted. I can trust them. They are going to be winning people to the Lord. They're going to be faithfully asking the question every week. They can be trusted with that. That they should be leading the way as an example in soul winning. That it should never be a doubt. They should be bringing people to church. They should be inviting people. That's part of the requirements. That's something that someone could do. To help ease the, the burden of a pastor, right? If somebody else is out there telling people about the Lord, being faithful. By the way, that's something we all can do. But specifically of the idea of a, of a deacon, that deacons are supposed to be leading the way in soul winning. You know how many deacons and Baptist churches don't go soul winning? A whole bunch. But that's one of the qualifications. And no wonder the world's not getting one. No wonder churches are dying. No wonder baptistries have been die, uh, dry and dusty and spiderwebby. Because pastor needs help. As the pastor gets busy and more things to do, the work has to go on. The work must be going on. And remember, the work of God is not done within these four walls. They're done outside of those four walls. They, <laughs> according to the Bible, these deacons are holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. They could be trusted with the great commission and obeying the great commission in a pure conscience. Meaning they can honestly say, I've been obedient to God in obeying the great commission. I have a clear conscience on it. I've obeyed God and what God has given me. I've been holding for what God's word. Notice as it goes on in verse number 10. And let these also first, notice this, first be proved. Now, this is an important qualification as someone is going to become a deacon. Uh, remember, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's giving instructions. This is what you need to have for a deacon. And first of all, before anything, they need to be proved. He said, this is going to save you some problems later, Timothy. They have to be proved. What does this idea of proved mean? What does it mean to be proved? It means to be tested. It means to be put to the test and they pass it. They come... And the only way to be proved, by the way, is to be tested. How were they tested, by the way? It's when they come into conflict or disagreement with the pastor, but willingly submit when the pastor says, no, we're going to do this. Remember, submission is not silence. 
It's, it's speaking up at the right time, the right place, with the right spirit. So if I say something and said, you know what, I believe this is what the Lord has me to do. Someone could pull me aside in the right spirit, the right manner, the right time, the right place, and say, Pastor, I disagree with this. I don't quite understand why we're doing this. The pastor may try to explain, but when it's all said and done, when the pastor makes a decision, the deacon leaves and says, I support the pastor 100%. I'm going to do that. The only time that is proved is when that's put to the test. When they come into conflict with pastor, and they willingly submit and wholeheartedly go with a pastor. And say this is what God has given. Because if this is never proved. You're asking for trouble later on. When they rise up and say you know. And they start getting a coalition to throw out the pastor. And there's no longer unity in a church. This is why he said they must be proven. You see one of the qualifications of a deacon is that they must be loyal. You know, there's an idea of submission is that you can go talk to someone, but when the leadership makes the decision, that's what we're doing and I'm all in. They first must be proved. They first must be proved. They must be tested and they must go through it responding correctly. They must pass that test. Otherwise, they're going to be hurting the pastor and that's another monkey on his back. Now I got to deal with the deacon who's... Who's, who's overthrowing. <clears throat> All right. Notice this as it continues on in verse 10. And let these first be proved. And then let them use the office of a deacon. Being found blameless. That word blameless here. Means that they're trusted to do the job. That they've been asked to do. There's nothing like giving someone a job. And they don't get it done. That means that there's nothing to grab a hold of them. No I trust them completely. If, I say that they're go- if they say they're going to do it. I have no problems. They're going to get it done. I'm not worrying about it. They have to be blameless. They have to be trusted. They're going to have to be faithful. So we see that qualification. Jump down to verse number 12. It says, let the deacons be the husband of one wife. Once again, giving the same requirements again of a pastor is that they cannot be married to a divorced person or they can't be divorced themselves. It ruins the picture that Jesus Christ is giving of the home and of himself, of Christ and the church. It's here. Now, someone who's divorced can serve as a trustee. That's another term that's not biblical, but something we've developed uh, for our society and whatnot. But for the office of a deacon, they cannot be divorced or married, married again to a different wife because of divorce. Notice this, ruling their children and their own houses well. Why is this? Because When they start doing the daily administration and they start serving tables, they're going to deal with children. Sometimes the children may be 50 years old, but they're going to deal with children. And if they're able to manage their kids right, if their kids don't make them freak out and explode, if if they can handle children, then they'll be able to handle other people. You see, it's a temperament because we're in the people business. As much as we'd like to Stay away from all people. That It's not possible in the ministry. We have to deal with people. And we have to deal with them well. And so that's part of the requirements. But the idea of a deacon is so important. And so extends that it's not just the deacon who's involved. But his entire family. So the Bible gives qualifications not only of the deacon. But also to his wife. That's the next thing I want to show you here. Is the requirements 
of the deacon's wife. The requirements of the deacon's wife. Notice again as it gives it in verse number um, 11. Even so must there the deacon's wives be grave. Notice the first qualification of a deacon in this list is grave. And the same qualification for the pastor's wife is grave. That means serious. That means they take their responsibility serious. And because husbands and wives are one unit, because the deacon's requirement is to serve, guess what the deacon's wife requirement is? To serve. And that she must be as committed to doing that as she would a secular job. Committed to serve and find ways to serve. Not finding ways to get out of serving. But to serve. And to be a leader in serving. To take this seriously. Remember we use that word honestly. Are you honestly a servant? That's part of the requirements of a deacon's wife. Is that she is honestly a servant And a servant to the church. Notice as it goes on in verse number 11. Even so must their wives be graves. Not slanderers. The word slanderers carries the idea of not accusers. We would use the word gossipers. There are many good men who are disqualified from being a deacon. Not because of themselves. But because of their wives. Because their wives as soon as they get sideways with the preacher. They want to go tell everyone else. Can you believe what the preacher said? I don't think the preacher said this right. (laughs) You're heading to trouble. And the man may be good. And a lot of good men I've known. Who are great men. Who would be great as a deacon. But they cannot. Because their wives are not with them. They're slanderers. They're gossipers. Their tongue is wags all the time. They cannot be trusted information because we don't want the deacon to hide information from his wife. But we don't want the wife to go tell everything either. So she must be trusted. Notice this other qualification in verse number 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers. Notice this, sober. This word sober in this case here carries the idea of diligent or temperate, self controlled that the lady the lady who's married to a deacon she must be steadied and self-controlled person not someone who panics and goes hysterical when something doesn't go right or given a responsibility that is a requirement is that she has to be sober she has to be self-controlled steadied not panicky because otherwise that's another monkey on the pastor's back That the pastor gives a responsibility he doesn't have to worry about. Is the wife going to freak out on me? Can she be trusted? Can she be trusted? Not only the deacon, but the wife. Because they're in it together. You don't want people serving, you know, one guy serving and the wife says, I'm not going to do it. I don't care. You want families serving together. And serving God is one of the greatest things you can do. It doesn't the Bible say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Doorkeeper opens the door for people and lets people, and that's serving. I'd rather be that. There's all the idea of service. That's what the word minister means, by the way. It means serving. Serving others. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But there's a qualifications. Notice there's one more qualification for a deacon's wife. Notice this in verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. 
They are required to be on servants. They're required to do what they're asked to do. The Bible in the book of Proverbs gives a couple of illustrations that a faith, that tr- trust in an unfaithful person is like a foot out of joint. It's like a broken tooth. Have you ever had a broken tooth? We're just breathing and the oxygen hits that nerve and you know what we just called it? A monkey on my back. Putting responsibility on someone who's not faithful is putting more work on me. Does that make sense? She has to be faithful. Has to be where I don't have to worry about how she's going to respond. No, I'm going to give this responsibility to the deacon. I'm going to trust they're going to get it done. And they're going to be happy about serving the Lord. And we're going to move forward together. Now, why is all this important? Because we want the church to move forward. You understand that a church can only handle what its structure can handle. If there's only one person taking care of everything, there's only a certain number of people that one person can handle and take care of everything without things falling apart. But if you have other people serving and put a structure in place so it's not just one person, but other people are helping out, then we could take care of more things and handle more people without people falling through the cracks, without people being neglected. That's the whole responsibility is that it's not just the pastor, but everyone has a part to play. And the more people who help out, the more things that can get done. The more things that can get uh, helped out, the more time the pastor can pray for you. And spend in his Bible to give you God's word and to be right with God so we can steer the ship in the correct way. Now, all of this has been qualifications. May I show you the good stuff? One last thing. Notice with me, I want to show you the rewards of a deacon. The rewards of a deacon. Now, we want people to be a servant. Being a deacon is something that is uh, pulled from a church, from people who are spirit-filled and meet these qualifications. But God looks down as this as a spiritual work. And there are special rewards for those in the office of a deacon. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree or standing or or platform and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Here we can see someone that's faithful in the office of a deacon has proved himself as an investment in his own future. What does that mean? Someone who's been faithful to be a servant, God looks on them and says, I've got plans for you. I want to use you. When you go back to Acts chapter 6, there was a man by the name of Stephen. And when Stephen served... And worked, the Bible says the word of God increased. That didn't mean he wrote more of the Bible. That means he won more people to the Lord who trusted God's word and God's word in their hearts spread out. Many people were saved because of Stephen. Of course, he was the first martyr. He died. He was rocked asleep. But you know, because of Stephen, the apostle Paul got saved. He was a deacon who was faithful. And because of his faithfulness, we now have the apostle Paul. You take another deacon who was chosen out of those men of good report, a man by the name of Philip. 
And Philip was used. He was a deacon. Next thing you know, he's in a revival meeting in Samaria and people are getting saved. And God calls him from the revival meeting and says, hey, I want you to go out to the desert. Well, the revival meeting's over here. Yeah, but I got a plan for you. So he goes over there and sees a man in a chariot reading the word of God. And God says, go talk to him. He jumps up and says, what you reading? He says, Isaiah. He says, you know what you read? No. Not, how can I? And then someone explained to me. He says, let me tell you, this is Jesus. And the Ethiopian eunuch got saved and went down to Ethiopia and started a church. Amen. Because a deacon led him to the Lord. Then later on, Philip became a missionary. You know what he did? He invested in his own future by being faithful to God. God says, look, you proved yourself. Now I'm going to put something else on you. I'm going to use you over here. You understand there's something about putting yourself as a servant. And when you put yourself as a servant, God uses you in greater ways later. You take a Joshua. You know what the Bible says of Joshua in Joshua chapter 1? Joshua, Moses' minister. Moses' servant. Pastor, what do you want me to do? Moses, you need me to shine your shoes, wash your feet, feed your cat. What do you want me to do? Tell me what to do. 40 years he did that. What do you want me to do, preacher? What do you want me to do? And so when it was come time, God says, I want Joshua to go lead the people. Moses said, good choice. Why? Because he made himself a servant. You go to Elijah and Elisha. How was Elisha described by the kings? Isn't that the guy that poured the basin, the water basin, to help wash Elijah's hands? That was Elisha. That's how everyone knew him. He was Elijah's servant. What do you want me to do, boss? You want me to hold water so you can wash your hands? I'll be glad to do that. He was serving. When someone serves and put themselves as a servant, remember the word deacon means servant. And they said, what do you want me to do, God? I surrender myself to whatever you have me to do, God. And God uses the biblical authority of a pastor to say, here's how you can help me out. I'll be glad to help you out whatever you tell me to do. They are investing in themselves something greater. God says, good. Now that you're used to being a servant, I can use you over here. Now that you're used to being a servant, I'm going to use you over here. Now that I'm going to put you as a servant, I could use you over there. And you could be used greater for God because you took time to be a servant and allowed God to train you to be a servant so he could use you somewhere else. In addition, it is my personal opinion, so I'm separating that from Bible doctrine, my personal opinion that deacons who use the office well will have a special reward in the millennial kingdom. For the thousand year reign of Christ, God said, hey, I know you wasn't the preacher, but let me tell you, you stood behind your preacher and you served your preacher and whatever the preacher needed, you did that. Hey, I'm going to trust you with a lot up here in the millennial kingdom because you proved yourself trustworthy and I've got a job for you to do. That sounds logical, doesn't it? The idea of a servant. A servant. With the idea here that a pastor can only do so much by himself. He needs other people to say, Pastor, what would you have me to do? And be glad to do the things. And the small things that get done allow a pastor to spend more time in the Bible and the more time in his word. This is why I appreciate people who clean the church and are happy about it, by the way. Because if you don't clean the church, guess who has to do it? My family. If someone sees that a toilet's not flush and it doesn't get plunged, 
Guess who eventually has to do it? Pastor's responsible for his family. If the weeds don't get done, who's responsible in doing it? You understand where, it's, where it all gets there. The more things that people can be responsible for, the more that I can be with God, and the whole thing moves forward. A church is not just a pastor who gives religious speeches three times a week and everybody sits on the pews. Being a church member is not a spectator sport. But we need people to be servants. And as you're a servant, you invest in yourself as God rewards you and moves you to bet other things because you were a servant. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.